Боже, царя храни, Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is the zoo crew, uh, Francis and Shocks. Uh, Liam is still in California, and I need to uh, record episodes before I go to Armenia this weekend. So I have drafted them into the Hall of Horrors that we are creating here today. Hey, fellas. I Look, I always appreciate doing a podcast where I'm not running it because that means that I get to smoke weed. <laughs> Otherwise, I have to pay attention. And then, you know, this is not going to work. And I'm just really disappointed because I was told it was a Hall of Horrors and I assumed it was some sort of like carnival ride. Uh, and instead, I got this bullshit. So. Uh, it's a carnival ride as long as you enjoy long walks through the mountains that um, I was are hoping mostly for dark one way. Uh, if, uh, you know, I, I feel like the juggalos don't even want anything to do with this mess today. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now, this is where I get to point out that you have uh, had the uh, the joys of joining me whenever we talk about awful shit from World War One. Hasn't been planned that way. It just always kinds of ends up that way right like you've you were there for our luigi cadorna redo um uh you were there for uh conrad van holzendorf um mm. so this is like the trifecta i mean obviously there is the world war ones like there's the verduns and the passchendaels and a few other ones it's like the obvious glaring ones but there's a few other battles that are so catastrophically stupid um and they change the way history plays out, that people just don't give them the attention they deserve. And that's why we are talking about the Battle of Saracamish today. Have you, have you ever heard of this one before? No. Saracamish. That's yeah, right. I mean, See, I saw you named this, and I was trying to... Uh, you named it Saracamish. Now I know how to pronounce it. I was just thinking <laughs> it was Scaramouche. Like, uh, um, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, exactly. can you do the Fandango? It's, I was excited uh, to talk about Queen, but no, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is the the Battle of Freddie Mercury. Um, <laughs> it, it's the battle of what they did to poor Freddie Mercury in that fucking movie. Um, but I never saw it. But you I, did yourself a lot of favors. I mean, it, Scaramouche also just kind of vaguely sounds like something I might like, like maybe an alternative form of the Reuben, or like you know maybe like. <laughs> But uh, you're, it's a you know, Reuben like, that doesn't quite get, care so much. Like it's like it, a it's like sauerkraut, but different in some way. Like instead of like cabbage, sweet, you use, sweet like, kraut. Yeah. Oh god! <laughs> I just made the worst sandwich ever. It's uh, <laughs> it's a it's a Reuben, but instead of uh the sauerkraut, you have like the the funny spaghetti candy on top. Ugh. Or like uh, you put some like, sour worms. You mix it. In, <laughs> uh, you just mix it in with pixie sticks. Ugh. Uh, now, there's there's battles um, that happen uh, throughout time that, you know, change the course of history. The, the Kursks, the Stalingrads, the Gettysburgs. Um, and this should be included among them, but it's generally not. And I think the reason for that is because we are talking about two of probably the worst armies in World War One, And not to mention, both of them would have some pretty serious other shit going on as soon as the war ended. In one case, during the war. Uh, that's because this battle is fought between the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Empire. Um, mm. two, two dying old ziggurats slapping each other with piles of dead. Um, so this is so we're talking before this is pre-Russian Revolution then. Yes. Yes. Like, but so it's, still, it's, like, it's like a fist fight in a hospice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
It's exactly what that is. Um, and to be fair, uh, you know, we've you guys joined me on more than one episode about Russia, and generally, it's where like, and this is where Russia fucks up. I don't say that at a single <laughs> single point, um, other than like starting. They're getting into World War One, but we're not going to talk about the Russian side of World War One. Other than being Russian, just in general. Uh, other than being the Russian Empire, Russia didn't do anything wrong here. <laughs> Which is um, one of the few times you're ever going to hear Joe say that. Yeah. Um, and on, <laughs> and like honestly, really just, it takes fighting the Turks for Joe to say that Russia did nothing wrong. <laughs> I, th- this is one of those unique parts of history where like the Russian Empire is um, uh, the heroes? Un- is undeniably a force for bad things in, in human history, generally speaking. Um, but World War One, they did more for uh, to stop the Armenian genocide than literally anyone else. So it's like, oh, fuck, I kind of have to give you this one, right? Like, they knew what was happening. They became real assholes later, but I mean, in this one moment, I thought we were cool. Like, legitimately, the czar did more for Armenia than almost anyone else. And it's like, it's the worst czar, right? Like, it's czar Nicholas II who's a fucking idiot. It's like, uh, <laughs> and I mean, it's not because that he truly cared about Armenians. Uh, it's, I mean, it had to do with him considering himself the protectorate of, of Orthodox Christians in the Ottoman Empire. Um, but like still he helped, uh, it, it's, it's the onion article where like when the worst guy, you know, is, is right. Um, What's also, and, uh, also, I feel like it just kind of like a, you know, a participation medal for not actively making the genocide worse. Congratulations. You like, didn't do this one guys. Yeah. Yay. Like it, it did a lot of ethnic cleansing, but this one not on your hands technically. Yeah, so, you exactly. know, good for you. I mean, the same thing could be said for like, the United States and helping stop the Bosnian genocide. <laughs> like, yeah, ooh, you were, congratulations on this one, guys. <laughs> like, you did it. You don't actually have to go Rwanda, full, uh, but you know, you don't actually excellent. have to go full Chomsky. You can actually give them credit for like not, you know, not letting a genocide just continue. You yeah. accidentally called it this time. <laughs> yeah, you know when you <laughs> when you roll the dice twenty times, I do like your odds eventually coming up on the right number. <laughs> Um, now, the, the, the Battle of Sarakamish is probably, without a doubt, the most lopsided battles in all of World War I, um, and it is the small domino that would eventually lead to the Armenian Genocide being committed by Turkish nationalists of the Ottoman Empire. Now, that's this big, small domino, big domino. We'll get there. And I do, I do understand that if um, any, uh, anyone of like, that's like Turkish history or Armenian history, they're going to be like, but Joe, you're leaving a lot of things out. You are correct. Eventually, I will have to cover the entire Armenian genocide. Today is not that day. Um, <laughs> it's when Joe starts really heavily drinking and finally gives up all hope. That's uh, my secret. That's- I'm always heavily drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I've never <laughs> had hope. The, the, the people have always asked me, like, how do you study genocides for not only for your job here on the show, but also in school? That is, I'm dead inside. Um <laughs> Now, to get to this point, we do have to figure out how exactly the Ottoman Empire joined Germany in such a badly thought out war in the first place. And as most people know, the Ottoman Empire was known at this point of history and a little bit before then as the sick man of Europe. Um, now, this is can be de- de- debated when exactly this period started, but the, the Ottoman Empire had been formed all the way back in 1299. It was an old rickety shit bucket and it was showing its cracks. Um, And the period of decline, it's a lot like trying to point out when exactly the fall of Rome started, but on a much smaller, dumber scale. Um, 
there's a lot of different points you can point out of like, oh, this is when the sick man era started. It, I'm not going to try to find it. Uh, but now at this point, they were fighting nearly 40 years of constant warfare, trying to hold together their dying empire by the time World War I started. And they spent most of that time losing those wars. Um, Ottoman Empire, er, early period, most people like, ah, the, the, the lustful Turk has conquered so many parts of Europe or whatever. But that, that era is long gone. The Ottoman Empire is not a military power to be feared in any capacity. Unless maybe Russia, who's equally incompetent. They just have more bodies. Um, <laughs> this is both in a good way and in a bad way, usually. <laughs> I mean, like, to be fair, that was one of the Ottoman Empire strengths as well. It was huge. Uh, they could, I mean, at one point they created, they controlled most of the Balkans. Uh, they created, they, they controlled parts of uh, the Middle East, it's, you know, Israel, or what is today Israel, Palestine, North Africa. It was very large. They could pull in a huge pool of manpower. Uh, but as they started losing these various wars, they're fighting to including losing most of the Balkans, Greece, and a few other places, uh, those numbers would dwindle. And the, all of these wars, other than being sparked by the fact that being in the Ottoman Empire, while being one of these minorities, was, was kind of hard. Um, the, the Ottoman Empire is considered a caliphate. So most of these uh, people were Orthodox Christians, some of them Catholic, uh, others, some other parts of Islam. They were living as what's known as demi, which is like non-believers under Islamic law. Uh, you had to pay extra taxes. You couldn't have certain jobs. Uh, you couldn't enter the civil service unless you had connections. Like at one point, like there was an Armenian that was like the foreign minister somehow, even though legally he shouldn't have been able to allow, hold the job. Um, but like you had uh, Demi were allowed to have very specific jobs. Uh, you were taken advantage of uh, Ottoman police, military could just, just fuck with you for no reason. So, and, and this also coalesced together with a upswell of nationalism, which is you know the underlying cause of World War One in general, right? Um, right? So, isn't that the cause of most world wars? Uh, yeah, normally. Uh, I mean, a lot of wars either you know I I want your shit or I want you to go away like permanently. Yeah, I mean, compromising you, another nation to a permanent end. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could, uh, thank you, John Cena. Um, you you could um, argue that nationalism causes most wars. Uh, that I think that's very true, but also very reductive. Um, but yeah, for the sake of this nationalism. <laughs> well, then now, I, I mean, you know, then also you get into like, you know, what is actually a nation and what's a nation state? Yes. And so, like, you know, and then you get into like. Whether or not uh, you know certain wars can be called nationalism, because is there really like a nation that they were a part of? That you know, whatever. But and you're going to get people that subscribe nationalism to not the bad things that we're used to here in the West. Um, right. And like, so when you try to say um, you know uh, like Kurdish nationalism or Palestinian nationalism or Armenian nationalism, like ah, that sounds like Nazi shit. Like. Nope, <laughs> yeah, not quite. Uh, because you know, there's something to be said of an already powerful nation who already has nation states and borders compared to an oppressed people who want a secure and uh, you know, state for them for themselves. So I won't really get into that. Uh, oh, but- weird! I just I just heard an Irish tin whistle off in the background. There. <laughs> <laughs> now and like, uh, not not to mention a, a lot of this nationalism was born because of how awful the Ottomans were to them as a group. Like they created an outgroup for themselves. If they simply like 
let them assimilate into the empire and into normal imperial life, a lot of this probably wouldn't have happened. Um, but as one uh, breakaway nation succeeded, others were like, hey, the Ottomans look kind of beatable right now. And in most of those cases, Russia's like, I heard you needed help. Um, <laughs> a thing that has never happened after that. Yeah, of course just, not. Just just trotting behind like an eager dog. It's like, come I mean, on, yeah, like, up, hey, yeah. a lot of this to was war? like, I got some guns. A lot of this was guns, sometimes direct troops. Um, again, because Tsar Nicholas considered himself the protector of Orthodox Christians, which most of these groups were in various form or another. Um, and you know, by the 19th century, things are not looking good for the Ottoman Empire. And rightfully so. Fuck them. Um, it's actually in my script. I wrote that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be saying that often. To make, to make sure that you say the Ottoman Empire, fuck them. You got to yeah. put it down. I, I, didn't, I didn't want anybody to leave this episode without knowing how I felt. Uh, now, as the Ottomans were dying, a, a uh, common complaint we get actually is not knowing exactly how f- Joe feels on a subject because he's just so <laughs> shy. Right. Yeah. Now, as the Ottomans were dying, other imperial powers slid in to fuck with them and to steal their shit. Um, this is most prominent with the French, the Russians, and occasionally the British for good measure. Um, the French and Russians themselves did a lot of the fuckery, uh, mostly because they so obviously the French overwhelmingly Catholic. Russians overwhelmingly Orthodox. Uh, and then the, the Orthodoxy has various other smaller subsects, like the, you know, the, the Russian Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Armenian Orthodox Church. All of these are... Russia didn't really see the point of differentiating them because, of course, they didn't. They're like, no, all Orthodox, they're ours. Uh, meanwhile, the French are like, no, 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 all Catholics, those are ours. They have differing viewpoints. And at various points... Uh, the Ottomans themselves would consider via treaty the Russians to be the protectors of all Christians within their borders to include Catholics and Orthodox, which of course would mean Catholics would be treated like shit by the people who are supposed to be treating all Catholic, uh, all Christians better. And then at one point, the French would be made the protectors of all um, Christians within their borders and would favor Catholics to include like Palestine and things like that. Uh, this is actually what led to the Crimean War. And it's as stupid as it sounds, I promise. Um <laughs> I mean, that whole war started because um, the French did like gunboat diplomacy uh, and uh, the the Russians were like, hey, we're supposed to be the protector. What the fuck? And then they invaded. Um, so it, it's literally that stupid. And I mean, it's an entire conflict where the, the, the best known uh, battle in the entire conflict is like the Charge of the Light Brigade, which is just a bunch of like f- fancy British dandies just driving themselves into a bunch of cannons. So, Good news. That episode's coming soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, now, while most of this is so, was like you know soft power grabs, like they didn't actually care about Catholics or Orthodox. They they would have an in in the or, in the Ottoman court, and if you happen to be one of these European protectorates, you could influence Ottoman policy. The Ottoman Empire is incredibly weak, and like we'll do whatever you say, just stop stealing our shit, which of course allows them to come in more and more and just steal more of your shit with extra steps. Um, this is just disguised as religious protectionism. Um, the Christian population of the empire, like the Armenians, the Assyrians, the Pontic Greeks, uh, were all, during all this point becoming the targets of frequent pogroms, as well as the Yazidis, but nobody ever did anything to protect them. Unfortunately, that would ring true until very frequently, uh, or until very recently, rather. Um, now, among Europeans, uh, the situation became problematically known as the Eastern Question. 
the first time mm, that question was ever never... asked, that didn't directly lead to a genocide. Um, <laughs> because nobody, the, no, nobody's ever said, how do we deal with blank question? And it been good. Not, it's not like, oh, how do we deal with the, you know, the East questions? Like, or uh, like well, well, they're coming over at nine. So we should have like, you know, a nice brunch spread set it's never that it's always genocide and it's also well, never you know yeah never like uh how do we deal with the marshmallow question like it's you know it's always <laughs> it's always a, just a bad thing like you know anytime it's anytime you have uh national leaders discussing things in kind of vague general terms it almost always is just like well there's a genocide now to be fair the eastern question as proposed by the the brits the french and the russians did not mean genocide. However, that didn't mean a genocide did not occur. Obviously, <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't have been born in Michigan. And it doesn't. And it doesn't mean that genocide wouldn't at least be one of the options. Oh, don't don't Maybe? worry, guys. It's fine. The British, the French, and the Russians are talking it out, well, and it's sure to be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in this case, the question meant how can we. Like, what do we do with the Ottoman Empire? Like, they uh, for the the French and the British, the Ottoman Empire is very important. Not because it you know it had all this land and minerals and and other things that they could exploit within. That was also important. Uh, but they were also like the main thing stopping Russian expansion throughout the region was the Ottomans being there, which is why they fought so many goddamn wars and having a a buffer zone effectively. It right there against Russia was very, very good for France and Britain. That means they didn't have to constantly fight wars. The Turks could do it. Um, and, not, and not to mention, if, like, the, another part of the question is, okay, if it falls apart, what, what do we get? Like, how can we divvy this up? While also propping up bits and pieces of the Ottoman Empire as a shell of some kind to continue doing its job checking Russian expansion. That was the question. Unfortunately, by the time the question trickled down to Turkey, it did turn into genocide. Um, and three different ones, actually. Uh, but yeah. Uh, now, this was all of this happened at the same time as the Ottoman uh, economy, uh, I mean, which was always kind of in the shitter uh, through its late stages to crater just constantly. Uh, it was it, like going back. If I was to compare, it's like a Weimar uh, Germany level economy here. Money is f- effectively worthless because the economy is tanking so quickly, constantly. Right now, this was fine for the Europeans. They, they didn't care so much because they could rope them in with debt uh, diplomacy. Like, yeah, yeah, you can continue getting all your debt from us. It's fine. So, of course, soon the Brits and mostly the French in this situation would own. Massive quantities of the Ottoman economy, um, and these were debts that they knew they were never going to pay back because they couldn't. It was effectively a nationwide stock shorting. Um, now they're going to lo- they're going to load all the debt in, and then once Ottoman Empire closes, they're going to put a spirit Halloween in. <laughs> this jo- this joke brought to you by My Toys R Us, which is uh, now Spirit <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> now, this eventually uh, led to the Europeans taking over the banks themselves. And effectively, the entire uh, Ottoman economy was kind of put in... Um, like the, the same kind of situation, like uh, 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 the same situation that Britney Spears is in, right? Um, 
there was a conservatorship. Um, the Ottoman Public Debt Administration was created and staffed entirely by Europeans. And the, it employed more people than the Ottoman Empire's own finance ministry, um, which honestly might have some to do with how badly the finance ministry was run in the first place. Uh, but you know, rather than like controlling the Ottoman debt, it really acted like a kneecapping loan shark. That uh, they were in charge of any public spending by the Ottoman Empire. Like the, the Ottomans, like oh, we kind of want to build like a road. Like oh, you have money for a road, huh? You have money to pay your debts back. <laughs> uh, I I honestly didn't know that the EU started this early. <laughs> now each time uh, shit went down, they were there to help them out. Mostly the British, uh, because the British were more concerned about propping up the Ottomans, which is why the British got so heavily involved in the Crimean War, right? Uh, I mean, the French were also involved, but it was a, it was a huge British um, event. Um, now, this is obviously because the British are very, very um, interested in keeping the Russians in check. They didn't want to throw off the local balance of power. The British did not care about the Ottomans whatsoever. Um, they just need to Hey, you just need to be there and be like, uh, you're, you're, you're my defensive line. Uh, I don't care about you as a person, though. Uh, then there was the Young Turk Revolution. I'm not going to go into this too far. This eventually uh, warped into the Committee for Union and Progress, which was another group within that revolution uh, made up of hardcore Turkish nationalists that would depose the, mo- the absolute monarchy and rule as a one-party dictatorship, effectively as like a triumvirate. Um, but the Community of Union and Progress was a, a large dominating cell of the Young Turk Revolution and... I only point this out to be directed at a single news source. Any attempt to separate the two is historical revisionism. Moving on. Um, (laughs) As the Ottomans got more and more desperate. (laughs) Coming for you, motherfuckers. Um, I don't care if you have an Armenian friend. Um, (laughs) As the Ottomans got more and more desperate, they decided to join in on the naval arms race that was sweeping across Europe at the time. Now, remember, of all of the problems I just listed, now they're like, we need dreadnoughts. (laughs) Okay. It it was a prestige thing. Yeah, It was a prestige thing. Like, if we can compete with um, uh, the rest of Europe, because the the Young Turks did consider themselves European uh, as like a European imperial power. It's like, we need to compete with the Germans, the French, and the British. And the only way to do that is by building a big, dumb navy. Unfortunately, they had no money, right? Um, so they asked for donations from the public. They crowdfunded battleships. <laughs> Sick. Uh, which they would then contract out to the British, consider the best shipbuilders in the world at the time. And I and, and by I mean donations, I don't mean like you, you chart in something a little bit small on the bottom of your tax form or whatever. They literally went around like hats in hand to ask people to throw in whatever extra change they had to make building this new Navy possible. They were taken at cafes, at bars, at schools, and people who donated a lot were given a special badge. That was literally a participation trophy. Uh, I mean, so hear me, hear me out on this one. So I know that uh, Francis just created a new Patreon goal for a, a, a technical. Um, as the, uh, the resident uh, boat person on the podcast, uh, I, I think we can aim larger. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, there's been a lot of you know decommissioned ships in the last few years. Like, I think they're getting rid of the LCSs. Like, I I think we have some opportunities for some deals here. We yeah, should. I mean, this is just we, the first form of Patreon. We should start our own pirate radio and uh, 
uncharted water or uh, sorry international waters we get, we i don't know a, if pirate radio is wow. still a thing that anybody gives a shit about but we wow, you take over sea land again francis gets <laughs> a little bit of money he starts talking about international waters all right Thanks, <laughs> <Jeff>. <laughs> oh somebody wants to go go nine miles away from the shore <laughs> to be fair i want to go nowhere away from the shore on generally in any in, in any boat that's not a floating hotel so i'm generally the same yeah um, There's a reason I joined the army. <laughs> yeah. they, don't go, they don't go on the boats. I like my feet solidly on, on dry mm. land. Um, yeah, th- thank God we don't uh, collectively know anyone who joined the army and ended up on a boat regardless. <laughs> <up> on boats. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, then the British entered World War One in August of 1914, which led to a thing. And now the Ottomans weren't involved yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're like, Did you just yada 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 over a genocide? Uh, nope, not yet. We're getting there. Uh, no, genocide hasn't happened yet. Just yada yada yadding over, like, and then it led to a thing. World War One. Yeah, yeah, I mean, fine, what, what is the most British way to describe World War One than a little like a thing, like a tiff? We had a waffle, <laughs> a spot of bother. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had a spot um, of bother and lost like you know two thirds of our uh, young people. It's fine though. Yeah, uh, we we brexited away an entire generation. Um, now it, this is very early on in the war. Ottomans aren't involved yet, but the British do have like, hey, we're we're building these ships. Let's just keep them. Like I, I know they paid for them, but like they're already here. We already built them. Let's just keep them. And then they did, did not offer any reimbursement to the Ottomans. This is what is widely known. This is widely what's known the business as a dick move. Uh, and, and also, <laughs> Grand Theft Battleship, I guess? I don't know. This is the first like uh, World of Warships. Like, they just <laughs> they upgraded by just like keeping. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're like, uh, we just got these uh, old Turkish ships laying around while we keep them. Like, yeah, right. Uh, now, it wasn't such an easy thing for the Ottomans to be so mad, like, fuck you, we're joining the Germans, because that's not how that happened. Even though the Germans had been attempting to modernize the Ottoman army for quite some time, uh, and they had slowly and surely built up a lot of influence over Minister of War Enver Pasha, who would uh, kind of single-handedly get the Ottoman Empire in World War One. So while he didn't direct the future genocides as Minister of War, that'd fall under... Uh, a different uh, guy, the minister of, of of the interior named Talat Pasha. Enver Pasha is pretty much still responsible for all of it. Uh, because if World War One wouldn't have happened, the, the I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened, but it would look a lot different. Uh, but this splits the uh the 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 new CUP uh revolutionary court into a pro-German and a pro-British side. Now, the pro-German side was always much stronger because Germany was always much more militarily involved in the Ottoman Empire, while the Brits had a not a great track record. And, you know, stealing their ships uh, really put a damper on the pro-Brit side. As it tends to do. Yeah. Now, the reason that the, this wasn't so simple as fuck you were joining the Germans, remember who the other German ally is. Austro-Hungary, who the Turks have a bit of a history with. Um, the Austro-Hungarians have been nipping away at the Ottomans' heels. They've been fighting over the, the Balkans for quite some time. To, and not to mention, they had just taken over Bosnia and Herzegovina, which was the Ottomans. And they had been fucking with them in the Balkans as well. So they're like, you know, if maybe your friend wasn't such a dick. This would be a lot easier. Uh, now, Enver Pasha reached out on his own because he does this quite a bit. 
um, to the Imperial German court to ask for an alliance after the assassination of the Archduke in order to protect them from Russia when Russia inevitably entered this war that was coming. Uh, and the Germans effectively told them to fuck off. Uh, Germany didn't see the the, the need or the use. Uh, they acted like the Ottoman Empire didn't have anything to offer, which to be fair, they kind of didn't other than the the Bosphorus Straits, right? Like they were, they were a very, very weak ally. And once the alliance was made, they were casually called a literal ball and chain around their ankle. <laughs> um, now, Talat Pasha wanted to <laughs> side with the British. Just doing old mother-in-law jokes like out of the <laughs> 1950s, but like with an entire empire. <laughs> now, Talat Pasha wanted to side with the British. Uh, but was also told to fuck off for the same reasons. Um, like, yeah, guys, we know about all your problems. But we don't want to deal with them. We're all about propping you up with debt and stuff, but we don't want to actually be your friends. <laughs> um, now, the mood in the Ottoman Empire was kind of caught in the middle all the way up until Winston Churchill, who was Admiralty of the Navy at the time, stole those ships uh, without, co- without compensation. This 100% pissed off the Ottoman public, which, remember, paid for him. And uh, that's when the court switched over to the pro-German side, never turning back. Um, now, weeks had gone by, and the situation in Europe had only worsened. Kaiser Wilhelm told his government to reconsider the Ottoman alliance on August 1st, and a secret defensive treaty was signed. The treaty forced Germans to protect Turkish holdings, but it only meant the Ottomans would actively enter the war on Germany's side if Bulgaria did, uh, which would happen. Uh, now, at, at as, this point, as Bulgaria goes, so goes the world. As many people <laughs> say all the time, you know, as Sofia holds the world by its heart. Um, at this point, the Ottoman government was officially neutral, but that wasn't enough for Enver. Uh, he he wanted the war. Remember, he'd gotten his way, kind of. He had brought his nation into an alliance with Germany, but he wanted more. He and the German ambassador wanted to bring the Ottomans fully and actively into the war. Enver saw it as the only way to prop up the dying Ottoman Empire, to snatch all this land back from Russia, uh, which would, of course, restore their lost prestige as a world power. And that would magically knit all of these various different communities that hated each other back together. Um, we did it. He, we solved Balkan racism. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> a problem that would never, ever reoccur thereafter. Yeah, uh, yeah, he wanted to simply turn off the YouTube comment section. <laughs> <laughs> Even Talat bl- believed that joining someone, anyone in the war was the only way to save the empire. And it was like, honestly, Enver is very pro-Russia or very, sorry, very pro-Germany, but he, they would have joined anybody willingly. They didn't care. There's like, no, 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 we just need the war. We don't, we don't care about who we're actually fighting. We just, we just need to like, we need a W here. We've, we've been posting nothing but else for hundreds of years. <laughs> a sign of a good foreign policy is just kind of like searching around, rooting around for a war like a fucking, you know, kid looking for quarters underneath a couch cushion. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, <laughs> Fuck. Now, Germany didn't care so much about that. Uh, they just they at this point, they wanted Ottomans in the war to take the pressure off of them. Because remember, now they're fighting a two front war. They're like, we need somebody to deal with this whole Russia thing off to our east. The whole Russia problem. Yeah. Now the, the, the Eastern problem, if you will. Now the other problem with that is while Talat Pasha was 100% balls deep wanting to, you know, go to war, like he wrote for, I don't know, the Atlantic or whatever. Uh, the rest, the rest of the government was pretty realistic. Like, no, 
we're not ready for a war. We can't do this. So Enver decided to work around that by simply starting it on his own. Um, he conspired with the German foreign minister uh, to take the decision out of the government's hands and do a little something called a false flag attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, some real, uh, some real imperial Japanese energy right here. Yeah, the fucking, the fucking CIA did it. I knew it. Yeah, a hundred years before the invention of the CIA, the CIA did it. Now, the Ottoman government purchased two German naval ships, and their German crews who remained aboard simply switched out uniforms. Uh, I. <laughs> I assume they didn't stick out like, wow, look at those blonde haired, blue eyed fucking Ottoman sailors. Weird. Um, <laughs> what a wild uh, time to be to be doing war. It's just like, uh, we're just going to we're just going to we're Turks now. Yeah. Just, that's it. We're, we're, we came with the boat. No, you don't. You do not understand. We are simply uh, blonde uh, Kurds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a. Uh... Nothing like a you know a guy named Franz who just you know happens to be from you know Istanbul. I mean, you know, <laughs> my name my my name is Mehmet Dusseldorf. I mean, all these uh, guys, all these guys, eventually their uh, descendants, you know, ratlined their way to the United States and uh, <laughs> ended up in South America in various different places, including you know the last year in Haiti for no apparent reason. <laughs> Now, um, there's a problem with a lot of this. Obviously, as I point out endlessly. <laughs> The Turks are broke. No. Uh, the, the Ottoman Empire has no money, so they couldn't actually buy these ships. It was all a lie. The Germans just said, yeah, we sold them. And the Turks were like, yeah, we bought them and then signed paperwork. But they were actually still German. Like, all they did is do a quick close change like an episode of Scooby-Doo. No, they're just doing uh they're doing supply chain financing, but uh, for uh, for <laughs> naval warships. <laughs> Now, uh, <laughs> we built an entire shell company called the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, it's, it's We Shell. <laughs> uh, the rest of the Ottoman government began to get a little worried uh, because Enver was doing this all without them. Like, weird. How'd you afford those two ships? Like, uh, fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> it was like my dad buying steak on the every other weekend, right? Like, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the guy who once uh, in the South End tried to sell me speakers out of a running car at a stop sign. I all, there's also those guys in Detroit. Like, hey man, we got these really cheap uh, 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 speakers. You want you want to buy that? I've those guys get a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, but it's one of those things where it's like, sir, you're not even in park. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these these speakers are gonna combat roll out the back of this fucking van with no windows. Like, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of standards in life, but like, even if it's a running car, I at least want it to be in park and not just like have you know the breakdown. Like, you know. I don't know why. I'm just I'm squeamish like that in that way. They, they call that the kidnapping stance. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, while all of this is going on, the Ottoman government began, began to get a little suspicious as Enver began to say and do more dubious and inflammatory shit that angered the Russians and the British, including the things like opening the Bosphorus Straits to German and Austrian warships and only their warships, which is in direct violation of various treaties as well as their status as a neutral nation. Uh, that is when he eventually ordered those two formerly German, German, but now kind of technically Ottoman ships into the Black Sea, which again was a violation directly, and it pissed off the Russians. Oh, uh, weird. They uh, they they were going to go commit some uh, some war crimes in what you might call Blackwater. <laughs> hmm. <Interesting>. Now, uh, <laughs> Enver told anybody who was kind of suspicious or worried about this whole thing, like, don't worry. It's only a training mission. 
But obviously, that's not the case. What really happened was Enver talked to the German ambassador of the techni- or the German ambassador and the German commander of the technically Ottoman ships and came up with a plan uh, to provoke the Russians into attacking the ships, which would then force the Ottoman government to declare war because their ships were under, under attack. He would frame this as self-defense, making the Ottomans look like the obvious innocent party in the situation. Um, either it was lost in translation or the German commander did not give a single fuck about any of that. He was given a mission to start a goddamn war and he went out and started a goddamn war. He just floated out in the middle of the Black Sea and shot at everything that was Russian. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got to respect those vibes. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, like the, the 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 bombardment really didn't do anything. Like, there's like the Russians, like what the fuck, they're attacking us, and then like it was only two ships, and they immediately fucked off out of out of like immediate danger. Right now, ever as soon as this happened, everyone in the Ottoman government's like, God damn it, Enver Pasha just started a war. Uh, nobody thought it was self defense, but you know the British and the Russians declared war on them first because you know they were attacked. Uh, and then the Ottoman Empire declared war shortly thereafter. So, you know, Enver Pasha got what he wanted. Uh, now, unfortunately for the Ottomans, he went sprinting headlong into a war with probably the worst army in Europe. Uh, now, I say probably, as probably, I also said probably in regards to the Austro Hungarian uh, army. I probably also said that in regards to the Italian army. Um, <laughs> very situational, which is the worst of the war. Um, I, I will say in my kind of educated opinion the ottoman empire had the worst army of world war one um i mean look at their shining track record um now the german army like i said had been trying to modernize the Ottoman military for years and they largely failed to make a dent um the vast majority of the ottoman military would be filled by draftees between the ages of 20 and 40 which isn't out of the ordinary, but what was was the fact that they were one of the few developed nations on Earth that did not have a professional military education for its officer corps. Mm. Officer school did technically exist. However, it was more of a prestige thing, and it was largely ignored. Instead, people... Oh, that's, consider- that, that's always worked out well. Sure what, what- has. So, like, we're talking, like, worse than, like, you know, German or uh, English fancy boys just buying their way into commissions. So funny story about that. All the right. Turks still did that, um, and the British actually stopped doing that during the Crimean War. Immediately after the Crimean War, because like, wow, our officers suck. I was going to say because they, they they had like some famous set of reforms that happened right after the Crimean War, right? Uh, yeah, it's a, du- a, a direct cause of yeah. Um, now yeah. the Turks should have known that, seeing how they were the British allies during the war. But you know, whatever. Oh, but you know. All their losses did not, in fact, turn out to be lessons. <sighs> no, there was there was no Ottoman center for lessons that were learned here. Um, <laughs> uh, instead, uh, people could simply buy their ranks and commission. Uh, though most of the time, uh, they were simply given to them as a, a, a gift, a favor. Maybe they were nobility or a high ranking politician. Um, See, it which feels more like a feels more like a prank to me. Ha ha! You have to be a major. You just got punked. You're an officer in the Ottoman <laughs> army. God damn it, Ashton. How'd you get here? <laughs> Instead of leaving like a flaming bag of dog shit, it's just like a set of like, you know, like, like lieutenant's bars. <laughs> I mean, that, that also is just lieutenants. Um, now, again, that was not super out of the norms, say in like the US. Uh, we didn't directly sell commissions, but we just took the long way around, really. 
a lot of a lot of very fancy law boys ended up officers that whole lot of professional education. Oh, um, weird. Glad we got rid of that. Yeah. Uh, now, in most places, uh, to even buy a commission, you actually had to pass an exam uh, or an academy before getting commissioned. Like even in the the like the Spanish uh, American War, which is really bad about this of just like people throwing out commissions. Even like the lowliest lieutenants had to pass a paper test. Um, it didn't prove a whole lot, but at least you're I don't you're literate. Um, you had some, you know, you were had some idea of what was going on. You like didn't eat your pencil. Uh, yeah, you immediately yeah. got sent over to the Marines if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you know, there was a, there's a, obviously there's always a, a classism element involved in the enlisted officer divide, uh, and like we pointed out, this purchasing of commission uh, system went out of favor uh, after the Korean War and the British Army, which we'll talk about much more extensively when we talk about the Crimean War at some point in the future. Uh, but there was a staff college, and it was established in 1848. Uh, if you realize that is awfully close to the, when the war started, and that's hardly a good time to build a large corps of officers, you were right. Um, not to mention that this off, these academies were just a clusterfuck of different nations and teaching styles that it never would have worked. So the one in 1848 was a, f- a French model, which was then closed and reopened a couple times, depending on the relations between the two. Uh, the British al- also opened a naval training mission, which failed to get much done. Uh, and the Germans opened their own 1899, um, which went through various changes until 1908. Yeah, uh, w- <laughs> sorry, I just like struck at like, you know, that being such a kick in the pants where the British open a naval training mission that don't actually give you the boats. <laughs> just yeah, like, like, yeah, don't, don't worry, guys. We promise. Like, it just, it's like a rest of development, like promising you're going to take, uh, you know, uh, your son up to the cabin the next year. And it just like never quite comes. <laughs> There's always money in the Naval Academy. <laughs> um, now, again, this wasn't mandatory. Like if you were a guy that had money and connections, you weren't going to spend your fucking time in a classroom. And since most high commanders, uh, you know, if you were to raise yourself up uh, to become a, uh, a corps or army commander in the military, you're a politician or a noble. Uh, there's a few like the there's a few outliers here, but exceptions to the rule. Um, the, those people had no professional development or military education whatsoever, unless, of course, they had worked on other campaigns. And then it was like on the job training. Uh, which is not how you want to train an army. Uh, this also explains all of those wars they kept losing, which is also not a great way to learn on the job when all you're doing is losing. That certainly doesn't remind me of anything in modern times. <laughs> um, worse still, they had no native manufacturing ability and were completely and totally dependent on import for all weapons and ammunition, which they got from Germany and Austro-Hungarians. Unfortunately. Those modern weapons, kind of, would be wielded by troops that had not been trained uh, from various different ethnic backgrounds, many of which didn't speak the same language. If that sounds familiar from the Austro-Hungarian episode, you got it. Except it was way worse because there's even more languages floating around. Now, hypothetically, they, were they at least not racist towards each other? Oh God! Of course they were. <laughs> I, uh, Joe, I know they were. I just wanted, <laughs> I wanted you to mention it. Uh, hypothetically, this is all supposed to be standardized, and the soldiers were supposed to learn how to speak Turkish. 
but this never actually happened. So everything like goes sideways whenever it's, whenever it's like, oh, hypothetically, you, oh, no. Oh, oh no! Well, it's it's a lot like the Austro-Hungarian thing. Like, no, you need to learn a couple command uh, uh, things so you can understand what your officer is telling you in Austrian or whatever. And then, like, some somewhere, some Hungarian guy's like, "What? <laughs> like, I didn't. I don't understand what you're telling me." Uh, so, Turks, various groups of Slavs, Greeks, Syrians, Kurds, Armenians, and Arabs would all end up living and working side These by are a side. Few of my favorite things, <laughs> without really ever being able to communicate. A lot of times, now sometimes people would pick up bits and pieces, but you know, if you grew up in an Armenian village, probably spoke Armenian. You might know a couple words of Turkish. Same goes for the Assyrians, the Greeks, whoever. You probably knew bits and pieces. Not enough to have a fucking conversation. Um, now, think, like I pointed out, think of all of the problems with the Austro-Hungarians. Fucking multiply it because this army is bigger. There's more ethnicities. There's more languages, and a significantly worse government. But that didn't stop Enver from having bold plans. The Germans wanted the Ottomans to open up a second front against Russia to distract them and pull soldiers away from their own Eastern Front problems. Enver didn't see this as a distraction, however. He believed that a campaign through the Caucasus. Would be that would mean they would be able to retake the various lands that Russia had helped them lose or taken for themselves in the last various wars, as well as drive through Georgia and beyond. Not that one. Uh, eventually, triggering, uh, triggering a revolt <laughs> of the Caucasian Muslim population. No, not that kind of Caucasian against their <laughs> Russian Orthodox masters. I, I, I'm not going to teach. I'm not teaching everybody the difference in this one this time. Moving right along. Um, uh, this is a, uh, it's a hell of a pipe dream for Enver, and Enver's a fucking moron, uh, but that is exactly what he would attempt to do. He would slap together what is now known as the Ottoman Third Army in order to do this. The Third was not made up of the best troops in the army. Those had all been sent to Gallipoli to tend to the peninsula that eventually go on to own the British and Anzac forces. The Third was made up of mostly fresh conscripts and reservists who had been either too old to miss the initial conscription for whatever reason uh, or had survived previous conscriptions. <laughs> They're not the ones you want. Um, and Enver would, of course, lead the army himself, despite the fact he had never done that before. And all of the armies he ever had a command in, uh, all of those wars, they, they lost them all. He certainly, like this the cream is not rising to the top here. I feel like this is a reoccurring, like, uh, theme of all the World War One episodes. You just watch kind of all the, you know, the pre-war fail sons who just like show that they were just manifestly unable to handle any sort of large unit action. Just continually get plugged into spaces where they were absolutely only just going to slaughter their own troops, and it seemed to never be a deal buster. Like it was kind of you know, yeah, almost like everybody you know, like, just fails up. Yeah, like you know. What did you do? Well, I, you know, I, I used to, uh, I worked at like five or six banks and like every single one got robbed. And like, you know, every single time everyone else around me got executed. Oh, cool. Well, we're going to make you the branch manager. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, pretty much. Now, seriously, the man had like a own two record. Um, and the only reason he was put in charge of this revolution, uh, or he's put in charge because he ended up being very close to the revolution and it had worked. And then he was made war minister. This is like if the Detroit Lions tried to do a war or us, I guess. Um, <laughs> even though this army would be able to pull off uh, by the pull off uh, repulsing the Russian failed Bergman offensive uh, between November 2nd and 16th of 1914. 
uh, he believed that because they had stopped the Bergman offensive, they would be able to carry out his offensive uh, on their own. Uh, I guess nobody told him through his various experiences that defending is a lot easier than attacking. Uh, but eh, whatever. He, he dreamed big and hilarity did not ensue. Um, so he came with a plan for the third army to advance into the Allah Akbar mountains. Yes, those mountains uh, to encircle the Russian army at cars and slowly crush them to anyone who doesn't know anything about this battle. This seems like a pretty straightforward plan. Encirclement is a tried and true military technique that a skilled attacker could use against a defending army. It's literally textbook shit, but do we have a skilled attacker? Uh, well, no. <laughs> I also um, feel like most of the time that the the attack is uh, involves the phrase through the mountains. Uh, that uh, is that's what you call a clue. Yeah, that's that. I, you know, and and once again, I'm just uh, I'm a dipshit. I, I I know really only about uh, water and uh, boats. Uh, but even from what I've from what I've read about land, uh, seems like mountains are hard. Uh, I don't know if either one of you can uh, speak on that. Yeah, it's um. You don't want to do that through mountains. Uh, yeah, you don't want to do anything through mountains. Yeah, it seems not. like a seems like a bad time. Like anytime I ever read about like uh like tenth mountain folks, like seems like they're having a bad time. I will say that this is the part where I get to say this is where it gets worse um, because there's a lot of small problems at play. One where the mountains were nine thousand feet tall and were full of nearly impassable trails and gorges, and at an altitude where none of the Ottoman soldiers would be prepared would be prepared for. None of them are from this region. None of them are from the mountains. Uh, they were all from like the highlands and the cities. Uh, the second problem was the Ottoman army had no means of communication to organize its soldiers and Enver would, apl- would have to be deploying three separate groups of soldiers into battle to, it, to uh, complete his encirclement with no way for them to communicate. Problem. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the third problem was Ottoman infrastructure was dog shit across most of the empire and even worse in the Ottoman East, uh, they built a single line of rail and most of the roads were dirt tracks, uh, while Russia had a fully functioning railway going through the same area. Um, this meant that the Ottomans would not be able to resupply their forces, while the Russians would be pretty much be able to do the fuck they wanted at will. Uh, one of the Ottomans uh, on the Ottoman side, uh, uh, all of the trails that were treated as roads going to the direction of Sarah and cars would be completely unusable uh, for artillery, even in the best of times. Uh, but this would not be the best of times. I was going to say, like, also, uh, famously, uh, dirt tracks and trails get uh, so much better the, after the first 10,000 people who trod down them. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, during our uh, Napoleon invasion of Russia one where uh, they literally created a dust storm uh, because they were marching on dirt, probably the same fucking dirt tracks. I don't know. Um, now, here's the fourth problem. The entire operation would begin in fucking December. Ah, mm. uh, perfect. <laughs> the only thing better than uh, you know, attacking Russia and then it turning into December is just starting in December. Yeah, I've, e- I've heard. We're not invading Russia during the winter. We'll simply begin in the winter. <laughs> um, now, in this area, uh, temperatures would drop to minus 20 degrees, even at low altitudes. Uh, unfortunately for soldiers of the third, minus 20 would be a high during this period. Uh, that also meant all of those roads, which were hardly able to be used in the first place, were rendered completely useless due to snow and ice. Now, Enver... I mean, at least I assume that they had uh, sufficient winter clothing and uh, good food. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. 
caring <laughs> commanders, uh, you know, like reasonable objectives, uh, you know, considerate, you know, timetables that, it, you know, were, you know, uh, you know, calculated based on the difficulty of the terrain involved. Um, I will give you this much. There are timetables. That's the only part about that that they do have. Mm. Um, or were they reasonable? No, not even a little bit. Mm. Um, now, Enver was a fucking idiot, but his core commanders under him were not, at least not to the point they're like, uh, we cannot do this. This will kill all of us. <laughs> um, so they were all fired um, and replaced. <laughs> now, you, the know march- you, you know what? That, that sounds like fine. Fine, I'm fired. Like, you all go die, I guess. I mean, as I used to say to some of my uh, some of my superiors in the Coast Guard, like, all right, send me home. Yeah, I'll uh, <laughs> just just send me home. I'll think about what I did. I'll I'll wear a dunce cap. I'll sit in the corner, and you you go save the day. Go save the day by yourselves. It'll be fine. Yeah, the Ottoman Corps is like, oh, I'm so owned that I got fired. I guess I'll just <laughs> head on back now. Bye. <laughs> I guess I'll just continue living. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna put on my really warm coat and go back to my wife. Uh, yeah, y'all have fun. Uh, take some care. Lo- some lieutenant colonel's like, "Why am I getting promoted?" It's best you don't ask. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> the march just, just officially like, began. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> just like you know, like two weeks beforehand, like you know, just uh, <laughs> boy, man, I. The chances for advancement in this army are just, you know, like just aren't there. And just like off in the distance, a monkey paw curls. Like, <laughs> Good news. How would you like to be a general? Don't ask what happened to everybody else above you. <laughs> Sir, I, I graduated last in my military academy. Nah, I didn't even go to one of those. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what do you call the guy who graduates last at his military academy? General. All right. Have at it, buddy. <laughs> Minister of War. Now... <laughs> The march officially began on December 22nd, and things immediately went to hell. Uh, Ottoman logistics were so bad that most soldiers lacked any and all winter clothing, to include boots. Now, I don't mean winter boots. I just mean boots. Uh, Many of them marched with rags wrapped around their feet. And most units marched out with only enough rations. uh, And by rations, I mean a literal fistful of bread and some dry olives. Ah, yes. I mean, well, I mean, they were just, uh, you know, they were they were just cutting out all their fats. You know, they were just doing kind of an Atkins thing. Yeah, like all of their fats, all the way down to the bone. Yeah, um, like, yeah, the bone of their own skin. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I could really go for, I don't know, five or six more almonds. <laughs> uh, now, facing them would be the Russian Caucasus army, uh, a much better equipped, prepared and led army. And that's a low bar. Uh, when it comes to Russia, they were reinforced by several volunteer units made up of various ethnicities that the Ottomans had spent the last several decades or hundreds of years murdering and oppressing, like Armenians, Greeks, and Georgians, but fled to Russia for protection and now saw a chance to get the revenge. Now, these units, there weren't that many of them. There was actually just a lot of these guys already in the Russian military because there was populations of them living in Russia. The um, the number of volunteer regiments is vastly overblown by modern-day Turkish uh, historians. It's a couple thousand people at most. And in the grand scheme of things, in World War One, a battalion or so is not a whole lot to, to ascribe a lot of difference to. Um, that, that's like casualties that can be churned out in 15 minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Anyway, 
pretty much. And as soon as the Ottomans began marching, they started getting lost and losing contact with one another. Uh, they engaged the Russians in various skirmishes on their way to their ultimate target, but none of these battles were anything of importance. Um, and to the surprise of, I assume, only Enver, they got caught in a continuous blizzard uh, because that's what happens when you send your soldiers marching through the fucking mountains in December. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's like, really like, unless you're like in Australia, there's not a, you know, there's not a lot of good times <laughs> to like, you know, attack anything in December. It's like, <laughs> sir, have you heard of weather? This- right. Does anybody know? Like, did you ask anybody who like lives in the mountains how how this? No, we're just gonna nobody's gonna um, know anything about the terrain. That's fine. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't need shoes, buddy. It's fine. Let's go. <laughs> I I mean, I assume the uh, the mountains You're go higher. So I, I assume the temperature does as well. I will not be looking into this further. <laughs> now, it must units- get warmer because you get closer to the sun. Yeah. <laughs> you get closer uh-huh. to. You get closer to God, you can hear your prayers, and you'll get warmer. It's fine. Somewhere, Enver is just like drawing a picture of him going up a hill closer to the sun. Like, guys, I figured it out. I figured it out. <laughs> you looked at one too many like third grade children's drawings of the sun being like, clo- you know, <laughs> just like this like warm glowing orb close to the ground. He's like, ah, oh, well, if we just go closer to the sun. It'll it'll be warmer. I don't know why he saw a news announcer in the twenties, but it's fine. The Enver glancing down at this like child. Crayon drawing, like weird. The sun doesn't even have a smiley face. I'm starting to think my map is incorrect. <laughs> different Ottoman units got so lost and confused that uh, by December 23rd, two different units began shooting at one another. The 92nd Regiment and the 31st Division opened fire on the 32nd Division. Neither of them had any idea who the others were and assumed the other were Russian. Their firefight went on for four hours and killed thousands of their own men before someone Jesus. finally managed to get them to stop. I imagine, too, like they probably also didn't like speak the same languages. No, there's definitely a lot of disconnect in there. Uh, like, bad, you know, so bad like leadership, scared people, nobody being able to understand one another. It's just like good. a dude who speaks Greek. You're like, I don't know. It's Russian. Uh, fucking shoot him. <laughs> get that motherfucker. He's trying to steal my baklava. <laughs> Now, in case anybody's keeping track at home, this is day two. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully or not, depending on who you are, I guess, pretty much every Ottoman unit got separated from one another. Uh, Many didn't have maps. And for the ones who did, the snow and terrain made marching on the tracks and the maps completely impossible and also hard to tell where the hell they were. A little detail like that did not stop the uh, the Ottoman commanders from forging, uh, forcing their soldiers to march against blizzards for hours at a time. A few units made it with made it through forty seven miles of this bullshit by day three, which was still behind schedule because at this point Enver's timetable had them covering double that. Here's your timetables. Uh, by the twenty fifth, soldiers had been marching to the point of not giving a shit, and I'm not injecting that it's not hyperbole between snow and russian uh, harassing fire they were described as one of their by one of their core commanders as quote indifferent to their fate <laughs> i mean <laughs> you're just waiting for death at that point yeah <laughs> at this point you're just appropriating russian culture <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This was noted after being forced to march 14 straight hours through the snow. Um, 
Now, the Ottomans were hoping that the Russians would square up and fight them, uh, but the Russians were much smarter than that. Why Why do I need to fight you? You're clearly killing yourself. Um, now, they did engage the Ottomans occasionally, but you know they fire off uh, some rifles, uh, machine gun nests here and there, uh, and then they just displace. Once the Ottoman commanders finally managed to get their troops in order to order them into some form of organized defense or attack. It was hit-run attacks. Um, but that reaction time got slower and slower as more <laughs> troops began to get sick and die from the cold or lose body parts from frostbite. You're, for people unaware, your brain doesn't work right when you have hypothermia. Uh, you're pretty much yeah. drunk. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's a reason why they say that, like, if you like, if you fall into like cold water or something like in a pond or whatever, that it's like a good death because essentially you just like feel vaguely drunk and just kind of like let yourself slip away at that point. It's like, it's the same reason why a lot of people dying of hypothermia are found like stripping off their clothes. Yeah, like you just kind of like lose all sense of yourself and just kind of like, yeah, just let the elements take you. Which it, all I'm imagining is just a bunch of Russians firing off machine guns and then just accusing them of uh, the Turks of cultural appropriation and <laughs> running off. Take cover! Fuck this! I'm jumping! Like, I, like I, I hope one of them catches me. Uh, now, if all of these things couldn't be made any worse, enter Typhus. Um, <laughs> Now, oh, that's my now, least favorite wrestler. <laughs> now, for people uh, who who maybe are new to the show and haven't heard us talk about this, having a hundred thousand dudes camp out together in in small camps in the early 1900s is a recipe for disease. It still kind of is today, but at least we understand how to stop the spread for the most part. Clearly, we're not very good at listening to that advice, as the last two or so years would tell. But typhus had been ripping through the ranks since the march had began. And now that they're about a couple days in, it was really starting to take hold. Uh, now, the, uh, typhus causes nausea and uncontrollable diarrhea. Mm. So people were just like freely shitting and vomiting on themselves as they were marching. Uh, just, just put yourself in their shoes. Just liquid shit freezing to the inside of your legs, bonding to your uniform pants like a giant poop scab. I don't I mean, want to think uh, about that. That's actually the name of my new metal album. album. Poop Scab. The Poop Ladies Scab and EP. Or Poop Scab. <laughs> I mean, if you want to if you want to reenact this, uh, you can go to like North Dakota this winter and take a certain horse dewormer. Uh, <laughs> horse antiviral and uh, you know, just let some rope worms go and uh, you know, you'll you'll have fun. And like every and then like every step it's like getting torn off of you. And like everything is like their beards are freezing to their faces. People are going snow blind. Um everyone just covered in poop. Um that's like the one through line through military history. Like they're probably pooping on their stuff. Like all all of the most heroic battles, uh like pre nineteen fifteen for the most part, everybody's covered in their own shit. Uh, <laughs> it's like you don't really get a lot of like when you see the uh you know, you you get like uh, Crusader, like uh, Christian supremacist <laughs> Twitter, you know, sloshing around in their armor full of shit. And <laughs> yeah, and it's like you, you don't realize that, like, you know, when you you're posting this picture of like this brave Crusader soldier in his armor, and it's like he's just out in the middle of like Palestine in ninety degree heat, just sloshing around in his own shit. <laughs> yup, the, the brave Confederate soldiers. Uh, you know, no man, they're they're bravely shooting themselves, but so are the Union one. Yeah, yeah it's fine. everybody's just passing typhus and dysentery back and forth. On the positive it's, side, it's mostly least- caused by like um, uh, uh, contaminated drinking water with fecal matter. 
So like everybody's like literally shitting to the point that everybody else is shitting and then they're spreading it around. It's great. I love history. It's mostly poop. On the positive side, at least here for the Union soldiers for that one, uh, you know, at least your uniform's like a dark blue. For you know, I feel like that's gonna that's gonna hide the shit stains a little bit better than like a <laughs> than a light gray. I mean, you know, and really, that's all. That's what history is really about. Is just that, see, this is why like the 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 red coats went with red, so they they wouldn't see the blood on the officers. This is why my army all wears brown pants. I can't tell <laughs> I'm shitting myself now. By December 26th, thousands of soldiers were already dead from friendly fire and hypothermia and typhus, and they haven't even reached the worst part of the mountains. The Russians had begun to send in thousands of reinforcements by rail, quickly filling in the gaps in their line that would have allowed an Enver's encirclement to actually work. Not that Enver actually knew about them in the first place. Instead, the Russian left and right flanks filled out, stopping the Ottomans from completing their goals uh, of encirclement and attacking the city of Sarakamish. And at this point, the Ottoman field commanders, the replacements, finally broke down, telling Enver, there is no fucking way we can actually launch an attack. Like, we're all dying. I my, like I have lost my eyelids. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, my, uh, my ass is actually frozen on my feet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I can no longer see and I no longer fear death and, in fact, embrace it. So, uh, my adjutant hey, died a week ago and I just keep his frozen corpse around and hold my maps. <laughs> just, oh, fuck. It's like, like a fucking sword swallower. You just use him as a map case. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that did now, of course, these guys were all fired uh, and replaced once again. Uh, these guys were not allowed to go home because they were dying on the mountain. Um, that didn't mean that like Enver was going to stop. Like, there was no rational reason that Enver was going to stop his attack or never would have started. If he could have taken a fucking clue in the first place, he would have stopped when the first bunch of corps commanders like, yo, man, no, this isn't going to work. So instead, like, you know, the brilliant brain genius that he is, he ordered an attack on Sarah Kamish to begin right away on December 29th. As you can imagine, this attack went terribly. 12,000 Ottoman soldiers rushed into the city with about 300 surviving long enough to break through, causing them to immediately realize, oh, dear God, where did everybody else go? And they turned around and ran back to their lines. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, they sent 12,000 and yes. 300 survived. Survived long enough to break through the Russian line to then run for their lives and get shot in the back. <laughs> that is a fucking that is a fucking meat grinder. Like oh, that's this is this is like this is this and, is the like the junior whopper to, and this to, is before, to the big whopper meat grinder. Yeah, this is before like you just had like what we had, like anybody you can get an automatic weapon and shoot it into a big crowd of people and takes like, you know, in the middle like you know, a, a 240 Bravo or something like you're doing. This was like some World War One shit, man. You got to be dedicated to to killing. I mean, they have Maxim machine guns and stuff like that. You just pull down the trigger and wipe out an entire yeah. division or whatever. Uh, and like, to be fair, that's it's one of the reasons why uh, in this era and you know before that, one of the most important parts of any army was not your skill; it was discipline. Because you had to sit there and just get massacred and not run away. That was that was like. When people talk about skilled veterans, it was like, oh, we know those guys won't run away when everybody starts getting shot in the <laughs> face. Like that was a skill that they had was like, I don't care. I'll, st- I'll run directly at that fucking bitch. I'll, s- I'll smother the barrel with my guts. Um, so, but- so, so just choosing death is really what we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, because like being uh, up until, I mean, and depending on what army you are in, your, your experience today is still pretty awful. But like, you know, 
being a soldier is bad. So people are pretty, pretty fine doing horrible, um, not well thought out things like, I don't know, running at a machine gun. Like, I just want to be over. At least I'll be warm. It's like, well, I haven't gotten paid in uh, six months. Uh, My family's definitely forgotten about me. Uh, I have an incurable form of syphilis that I got from, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, the the unclean person I uh, last slept with when I was in town. Uh, The last three meals I've had have definitely, like, most of the protein has come from maggots. (laughs) And I have uh, just, like, a shit icicle just hanging out of my ass. So, frankly, at this point, I would, I would, you know, and I would kill myself, but I can't quite like you know reach the trigger with my toes. So I guess I'm just gonna <laughs> run lost at my that toes. Max- a frostbite. <laughs> yeah, like I've, lost, <laughs> I've lost three out of like three out of the five toes on each foot. The frostbite, along with like two out of the five fingers on each hand, and uh, like you know, yeah, and like not only is like do I have a shit icicle out my ass, but also you know my beard is somehow frozen to my chest and I vomited on it. So really, at this point. <laughs> I'm just going to run at a maximum machine gun because if a machine gun cuts me in half, that's going to be the least amount of like pain and humiliation that I've felt in the last eight calendar months. Hey, Sarge, my typhus is meeting up with my syphilis. I don't know what to do. <laughs> just let him, let him hang out, Billy. They're doing the, dra- the Dragon Ball spirit touch. <laughs> just like... Doing the fusion dance across your brain. <laughs> It's just like it's like Pokemon, but you've just like collected every like pre nineteen forties illness. Like it's the Mister Burns sketch yeah, where all, all of the all of the viruses are trying to press through the door, yeah, but on the other yeah. side of the door is an angry Russian with a machine gun. <laughs> Come on, motherfucker! I dare you. Um, that, now that that twelve thousand wasn't even the worst part about it. In the end, 50% of the entire Ottoman force was destroyed while attacking. Uh, When Enver ordered another attack on the new year, 40% of those didn't even make it to the point of attacking because they were wiped out by a freak snowstorm. Oh, Uh, fucking Christ. (laughs) Also, just like imagine like having to walk through that afterwards as like one of the survivors. Like you're just like walking through this like you know, terracotta army of all of your former, like, you know, <laughs> all of your uh, other the- former, like, peer soldiers, and they're just like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I guess at least he got, you know, frozen upright, so at least, like, the shit icicle didn't go up his ass as he died. Like, the, the Russians actually wrote about finding, like, they, after the battle, they didn't realize how big it was, like, they didn't realize it was an entire, the, the entire third army of the Ottoman forces that attacked them, and they, like, reported finding just, like, piles of tens of thousands of frozen corpses that they didn't even fight like what the fuck guys i found more bodies over here how many people attacked us like I oh thought, no those guys are around a fire i thought our sergeants hated us yeah, it's like exactly. the, the one time that the russian army actually underestimated the amount of casualties that it caused yeah they'll never make that mistake again <laughs> now by the second not even an entire full week into the offensive ottoman forces were spent they were done between taking horrible casualties while attacking getting annihilated by freak snowstorms or shitting themselves to death they simply had nothing left that is of course when the russians decided to launch their counterattack. the ottoman flanks folded immediately uh, there's like it was like in the opening uh, exchange of gunfire, an entire division surrendered. 
Like, yeah, fuck I, this. I mean, just, just I mean, fucking I mean, do something like I'm doing. Yeah, yeah like, you I'm guys, out, man. Wait, if I put down my gun, can I have shoes? <laughs> yeah, like, or will you shoot me? Because, like, that's honestly better, too. Like, either way. And then the Russians drew a forward and completely encircled what remained of the Ottoman Third Army, hitting him with the old historic Uno reverse card. <laughs> now, while some units of the Ottoman Third Army fought like hell, uh, the vast majority of them did not. They completely fell apart. Uh, Russian commanders wrote that they were overwhelmed by the amount of POWs that they encountered. Uh, now, this uh, by the, the time that the Russian army was pushing in, the army headquarters itself was taking fire, like confuses to where the fuck all of its soldiers were. And they were all like surrendering dead or running as fast as they could. <laughs> uh, at this point, the, the like the, the rush, the, the, the Ottoman headquarters, like the people inside, like, oh, let's get the fuck out of here. And they ran for <laughs> their lives, too. Just running past your commanding general while saluting in full sprint. <laughs> ah, I, I don't have. I don't have to outrun y- you. I just have to outrun the the Russians. Now, uh, by the sixth, it was obvious that all was lost, and uh, the those that could drop their up their weapons and ran for their lives. Uh, but small pockets of Ottomans, either because they had no idea a retreat was ordered, because a general retreat was ordered, but like there was no communication system, total breakdown of unit cohesion. So like a lot of units just didn't know that there was a, a retreat. So they they sat in place and realized like, oh, I'm all by myself. Some of these dudes just shot themselves. Um, others surrendered. Um, some dudes physically couldn't run. Uh, you know, all of the frostbite and disease um, and bits and pieces of this resistance last until the 17th. Uh, but, you know, pretty much in the sixth, the battle's over. Seventh through the 17th is, is what you call mopping up. <laughs> now, the price that the Ottomans paid in just three weeks of combat was, I mean, I know we always talk about high casualties for World War One, but even World War One, this is insane. I guess remember, this is the first year and some change of world war one like this is before the full horrors of this war would fully set in so the entire third army was destroyed Ninety thousand people were dead Fifty thousand of them died before they even saw combat the russians claimed they found thirty thousand corpses frozen to the sides of mountains in various different places another seven to ten thousand were captured and the same number wounded that meant if you got wounded, you probably didn't make it. Yeah, where are you going? Were you getting medevaced you, out of the mountain? You just freeze into the too? side. Yeah, right. you're, you're you're becoming like the green boots guy from Mount Everest. I was just about to say, or like you know, any of the rest of it is like just known by like whatever you were wearing at the point that you froze to death on the side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure if you're climbing the mountain, make sure you take a left at the. Th- the 30,000 dead Turkish soldiers. <laughs> That's how you know you're on your way to the top. You'll start hearing angry Russians. No, they're not mad at you. They're mad that they have to move all these bodies out of the way. This meant outside of some staff officers, almost none of the original 118,000 soldiers that set out made it back on their own. Of the people that made it back, Almost universally, there are people who ran on their own. There was no like unit like uh, during the Napoleon's um, retreat from Moscow. It was said that, like most people that survived that horrible situation survived because they stayed in their units and that yeah. unit cohesion kept everybody together. You could share food, you could share warmth, whatever. Not the case here. The only people who made it just fuck this. I'm out. 
Like everyone, uh, who, yeah, everyone who just is, like was out for their own shit. That was the only yes. thing. Like, which which was like really because I remember that series on uh, the retreat from Moscow and like talking about how it was like you know that was the only way that you were going to be able to scavenge enough supplies and whatever else. And it seems like here is just literally being involved with the Turkish army, like the Ottoman army in any way, was just a fucking death sentence. Yeah, um, and this was a multi-ethnic army. Like there was Turks, Greeks, yeah. Armenians, whatever. Uh, at this point, most of the minorities are dead. Um, this is because there, one, there wasn't that many of them. Two, they the Turks always used minorities in um, like frontline combat situations, kind of something like the Soviets would eventually do. Uh, burn through your minorities before you hurt for the ones that you like. Uh, so by this point, the the eighteen thousand stragglers, almost universally Turkish. Um, they coalesce back together under a corps of officers, and then they immediately begin plundering their way across Armenian villages, stealing and raping people. Um, for reasons, nobody knows. Um, you only get to do that when you're victorious, man. You don't get to be like the losers and then go sack a place. like. And it's their own towns like so this is the ottoman guys. empire <laughs> it's like if like uh, i don't know like the u.s uh pulled out of vietnam and then just invaded i don't know fucking columbus <laughs> fuck you guys uh now there, there was uh this is in, in the world of genocide speaks this is disorganized violence this isn't that's coming uh this this is the, the disorganized program but uh enver made it back Unharmed, of course. He never really put himself in harm's way. He was always miles away from any real danger. Um, and if botching an entire operation and getting over 100,000 or around 100,000 people killed bothered him, he didn't let anybody see it. Um, Louis Einstein, who was an American diplomat in Constantinople at the time, recalled, quote, even when he returned from the Caucasus, where an entire army had been lost by his fault, he seemed perfectly happy and went that evening to a concert. Jeez, sure. Um, fucking Christ. Now, while inarguably this is 100% Enver Pasha's fault, he would accept none of that blame. Instead, he blamed it all on the Armenians. Now, he had a long, and he wasn't alone here. Uh, a lot of this falls on Talal Pasha, Jamal Pasha, the entire government, uh, of framing the Armenians as something known as a fifth column. Uh, you know, it's. I was going to say, a, like, was there. Because it feels like there had to be a stab in the back narrative that, like, you know, kind of drove this from this point forward. There was, uh, there's the Hamidan massacre and things like that. There was other um, uh, racist attacks against Armenians leading up to this point. Uh, There's a lot of propaganda, uh, a lot of the work, like some shit you'd see uh, in a couple decades in Nazi Germany. Um, uh, race science and things like that came out. Some of it was religious, most of it nationalist. Um, yeah. The, the CUP or the Committee of Union Progress was intensely nationalist. They wanted to completely Turkify the empire. They didn't see any place for the minorities, which is why eventually the Pontic Greeks, the Assyrians, uh, the Assyrians, all of them would eventually fall under genocide as well, as well as the Yazidis. Uh, but you know, the Armenians went first. Um, now, he blamed and claimed that the Armenians fought on the side of the Russian military. Uh, the Armenians within the ranks of the Ottoman military, which fought and died in the frozen mountains alongside everybody else, were spies. The Armenians within the Third Army revolted, and that's why they lost. It was Antifa the whole time. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Ar- Armenifa? No, uh, now, Enver, Enver wasn't demoted because... Of course he wasn't, right? Uh, he didn't take any blame. The government didn't blame him at all, even though everybody was like, what the fuck did you just do? Um, 
Despite this making no sense, the official government line became the Armenians did it. Not to mention most of the people that could have pointed out that he was lying were dead. Uh, You know, that small fact. Uh, Now, almost immediately after the battle by February, uh, Enver and Damal Pasha would begin begin talking about and laying out the ground plans to deport all of the Armenians in the empire to the Syrian desert to die. Um, The fact that the Russian Armenians that fought on the side of Russia were not Ottoman citizens and therefore they couldn't betray a foreign government did not matter. Uh, there were millions of Armenians living, with, living within the Russian Empire the, as the historic Greater Armenia, which encompassed roughly a f- half half of um, modern day Turkey, had been cut in half uh, by for about a, a couple hundred years. With the eastern portion, what today is roughly the Republic of Armenia, controlled by the Persians, who then lost control of it in the early 1800s in the Russo-Persian War. There's absolutely no shortage of Armenians who are not subject. Of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, neither did the fact that tens of thousands of Armenians were faithfully serving in the Ottoman Empire, both during and after the battle uh, and elsewhere. While other minorities were taking up arms in various independent struggles, Armenians had taken part in the Young Turk Revolution. Because in the beginning, it was supposed to be a secular revolution that would treat everybody the same. They would be able to get rid of their status as a dimmy. Uh, like they, they were quite literally working within the system for progress and Armenian political leaders even encouraged their men to enlist and show the empire how dedicated they were to the Ottoman cause by February, all non-Muslims in the Ottoman army were disarmed and sent to labor battalions where they are all systematically murdered during the same time. Mass murders of Armenian citizens continued to become widespread. Any weapons and even religious items found within an Armenian home or uses evidence for these people's supposed role in the betrayal in the East in a popular uprising. Today, Turkish historians will point out that this is an armed Armenian rebellion. If you ever come across one of these people, they will explain that they were casualties of war and they were an armed rebellion. Um, this is not true. Um, <laughs> this idea, like they, it is the theory of the fifth column becoming real. Now, historian yeah. Taner Akam, who himself is a Turkish historian, who has had to flee his home out of the Republic of Turkey for his research into the Armenian genocide, concludes that, quote, the allegations of an Armenian revolt in the documents in the Ottoman archives have no basis in reality, but were de- deliberately fabricated to further genocide. When in reality... All of these things spiraled out of control of pogroms. Armenian leaders were telling uh, Armenians not to shoot back, worried that even acts of self-defense would be given as more of a reason for their slaughter. It did not matter. On April 24th, 1915, on the orders of Talat Pasha, hundreds of Armenian uh, political, intellectual, and community leaders were arrested in Constantinople and across the entire empire. Political organizations were shut, and Armenians who hadn't been deported from their homes were forced out into the middle of the desert to die. And that is why we commit, co- commemorate the Armenian genocide today on April 24th. Um, and uh, Turkey can suck my fucking dick. Fuck them Turks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like one of, the, one of the reasons why I I always knew about the Battle of Sarakamish studying history. Mostly because the casualty counts, right? Like you don't, you, most people, when military history is taught, you don't get taught like, the macro outside the battle, like what does this battle cause? You know, and I honestly, it's like outside of like this surrender of Kiev um, during World War II that directly led to the Bobby Yar massacre. It's really hard to find 
a battle that leads to like more direct human misery, you know? Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, just like from my own perspective, thinking about like the battle of the Boyne and shit like that, like, you know, that's, you know, kind of the, uh, the low point for like, kind of like Irish nationalism and like the point at which, you know, like the, the British effectively took over Ireland. And even then is like, you know, it's a little bit more like attenuated and doesn't directly lead as much to like, you know, immediate genocide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's normally it's it's political, like normally genocide is made uh, in a political atmosphere, right? Like not you don't normally see it framed in a military capacity like that, even though military as um, you know, weapons and equipment and people will be used for it. Rarely right. do you see it like evolve uh, from from a direct military incident right uh, like now, this granted, is kind of like, like putting the cart before the horse rather than the other way around yeah and this was not the only incident um this is not an exhaustive history of the armenian genocide and i highly recommend anybody go and read literally any of tanner akam's books he's a great historian um but like, yeah it's definitely like middle domino it's not small domino big domino we're a middle domino here but like it, it's always uh interesting seeing how these things work at a, a very small scale um, now, on a less incredibly depressing note, I know we've gone a little bit long, but we do something on this show called Questions from the Legion. If you'd like to ask us questions from the Legion, donate to the show. Single dollar will do. Send us a Patreon question. Hit us up in the Discord and we'll answer it. Um, what is your favorite dumb military superstition? Um, the charms. Was I was going to say favorite. that too, yeah. I don't know why, and and of course they went away in like the I don't know the aughts or so. But of course, you know their older MREs were still floating around. But yeah, that's always been that. And there was something about a about an apricot with somebody with some. They're like I obviously not tankers, otherwise Joe would be saying something. But there are there are like dumb little little things, and there's something with an apricot for some group. But yeah, the charms was always my favorite. I vaguely remember something to do with apricots as well. Um, I would ignore that anyway because I fucking love apricots. But um, the charms things jumps to mind immediately because I came in right before, right as they were being faded out. Um, now, for people who never eat an MRE, and bless you, um, charms are like shitty little candies. Um, what, what would you compare them to? They were like they were like shitty lifesavers. Yeah, it's fair. Shitty lightsabers. And if you brought them on your vehicle or whatever is considered incredibly bad luck, you'd get yelled at and people would make you throw them out. Um, it, I saw it happen. Like, I don't think I ever um, had to throw mine out or anything like that. But like, if you didn't eat them, that was good enough. But if you yeah. ate them on the vehicle, fucking run. Like, people would just bitch and complain at you. And Yeah. Also, you- Joe, the apricot thing is a tanker thing. It must have been before my time. I never heard that one. Okay. Carrie, what kind of weird uh, coasty I mean, superstitions I was, are there? I mean, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, one of them is, uh, I mean, one of the most infamous ones is, uh, you know, all the crossing ceremonies. So when you, you know, when you cross the equator, when you cross, uh, you know, the Arctic Circle, whatever, you know, I mean, particularly with the equator, you know, you join, uh, you know, Poseidon's court and there's, you know, traditionally like a crossing ceremony and, you know, so all the uh, all the polywogs who have never crossed before. You know, you know, even if it's you're a you know more senior officer or something. You know, technically you get hazed and 
uh, I mean, they've toned it down a lot, you know, compared to like a lot of the shit they used to do. I mean, as they have across all the branches, and you know, it's a good thing. But um, you know, you you get you know dunked in, you get you know, I mean, I've all sorts of shit happens to you. You know, you can get like fucking uh, um, you know, like stripped and like run through the boat and just like you know uh, like put in a fucking cargo net and like all sorts of shit. So. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's definitely one of them. And I mean, like, and similarly, like all the, all the dudes I know who got like very serious, like traditional, like maritime, uh, uh, like nautical tattoos, like, you know, and in particular, I'm thinking of like one dude I know who was, uh, from an island who got like a, a, you know, you get a, was it a, um, a rooster and a pig on each foot because, uh, apocryphally, those were the only animals that would survive during a shipwreck. Because they were usually wooden crates, and so the crates would float, the animals would survive, and those would be what would break open on like a nearby island, and so they would survive. So I saw like a lot of you know a lot of guys who would get you know that or like uh you know if they had some sort of waiver trying to get like hold fast tattooed on them or something, even though like you know you were you were a fucking like YN or something, you never handled a fucking line. So like I don't know what are you holding fast like a fucking form or something. <laughs> um, hold that clipboard. Yeah, I mean the. You know, uh, the one that always gets me, though, personally, is uh, I had a you know a couple of my buddies when I was in Gloucester, and there's a uh, the line from was it Groundhog Day with uh, Bill Murray, where uh, you know he has the the line like I don't think the heavy stuff's supposed to come down for some time, and uh, you know, and then like the snowstorm happens, and that's why he got you know he gets uh, caught in Puxatawney. Um But one of my friends said that uh, one time and. And then uh, when we were doing like a touch of boat day for like some local like, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, community, like, you know, outreach event. And, uh, and then the fucking clouds came just like black clouds over the horizon. The fucking sky fell like it was just like just torrential downpour fucking like, you know, surf like uh, fucking lightning storm, like all this shit. And so <laughs> forever after we just absolutely forbid him from saying like from saying the line like you know uh heavy stuff is not supposed to come down for some time or whatever the fuck it is because lord knows we just saw that that was uh that was our own personal curse saying <laughs> it's always interesting seeing how many of these things uh like spread but i mean the soldiers are just soldiers sailors whatever airmen they're all incredibly superstitious if you have yeah. your own military superstition that we didn't cover Please send it in. It'd be interesting. I'd, I'd like to read how so, how dumb some of these are. Yeah, I mean, to be <laughs> honest, like I would love to actually do an entire episode just about military superstitions because that there's 100 percent like uh, enough material there for all the different shit people have done over time. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'll, send those in. I'll put yeah, we'll send them in. We'll put some together. I got yeah. guys. I gotta go. This we've been talking for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> anyway, so Fred. Francis is old. And, I'm so uh, old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, thank you uh, for joining me today. And uh, until next time, do not march up mountain in the winter, I guess.